This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, and this is The Full Story. In 2013, the New Zealand government offered to resettle refugees from Australia's offshore detention centres. Nine years later, the Australian government has finally accepted that deal. Australia and New Zealand have jointly agreed today that New Zealand will resettle up to 150 refugees per year for three years from Australia's existing regional processing cohort. I'm so pleased that our two countries could reach... Whilst this means hundreds of refugees will be resettled, many others will still be left in limbo. And anyone who arrives in Australia by boat in the future will still face harsh immigration laws. Australia's strong border protection policies have not changed. People who come to Australia illegally by boat will never be allowed to settle here. Anyone who breaches our borders will either be sent back or they will be sent to Nauru. Today, why the government finally accepted New Zealand's refugee deal. It's Tuesday, the 29th of March. Ben, can you tell me about this resettlement deal? What do we need to know about it? This is a deal to resettle 150 refugees from Australia's offshore processing system to New Zealand. 150 refugees each year for three years, so 450 people overall. Ben Doherty is a reporter for Guardian Australia. Now, this offer first emerged nine years ago. Julia Gillard was Prime Minister of Australia, John Key was Prime Minister of New Zealand, and it was initially accepted by Gillard. However, Labor lost office at the next federal election and that deal wasn't taken up by the coalition. And since then, the deal has essentially lain on the table. New Zealand at every meeting has reiterated its offer. We will take these refugees, we will will resettle these people in our country. And Australia has said no until now. Right. So who is eligible for this resettlement program? There are a lot of caveats to this arrangement. At the moment, it's only open to refugees who are on Nauru, most of whom who've been there nearly nine years, or those who've been brought to Australia for medical treatment or for other reasons. It's not open to those who are looking to go to the US or are seeking to be resettled in Canada under other programs, and it's not open to those people who were held in detention in PNG. Overall, there's about 1,100 people who are eligible for this scheme, so fewer than half are going to find a home under this arrangement. Mm. And how will it work once people are resettled in New Zealand? New Zealand has a well-established resettlement program. This is a country that has, um, last time Australia ran an offshore detention system, ended up resettling a significant number. So these people will be able to settle in New Zealand permanently, be able to take out New Zealand citizenship, but they won't have the same free travel rights that other New Zealand citizens do to travel back and forth freely to Australia. The resettlement arrangement will be implemented under New Zealand's existing refugee quota program. This is New Zealand's sovereign process and they will be managing that process. It is run very independently of Australia. Ben, you've been reporting on the lives of some of these people and on this policy for a really long time. Just briefly, what was your reaction when you heard that this deal had been taken up? This is undoubtedly good news. This is a solution. This is an end to as a, nearly a decade of displacement and uncertainty for so many people. 
It is the right decision, but it's the right decision taken far too late. Hello, Baruz. Hello, Ben. How are you? I'm very well. You good self? How are things? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. You're looking well. You're looking very well. Um, uh, have you got headphones? I also spoke to Baruz Bushani, an Iranian journalist and refugee who was detained by Australia on Manus Island for six years and resettled in New Zealand in 2019. What did yeah. you think? What did you think when you first heard the news? Uh, I think it was. I think it is a huge uh, relief. We always hear about this uh, offer, yeah. but always Australia rejected it. Tell me about what some of these people have been through to get to this moment. These people are recognised refugees. They have fled danger and persecution in their home countries. We've had Hazaras fleeing Taliban violence in Afghanistan, Iranians fleeing persecution in their home country. But anyone who arrived in Australia by boat was sent to offshore detention on Manus Island in Papua New Guinea and on Nauru. And that's because Australia had and still has a policy of mandatory offshore detention for anybody who arrives in Australia seeking asylum by boat. The government maintains nobody who arrives by boat will ever be settled in Australia. And this is, according to successive governments, in order to stop deaths at sea. But what this has led to is an extended, often indefinite detention with people spending nearly a decade offshore in some instances and longer in detention in Australia without any hope of a resettlement elsewhere, without a durable solution. And what we know is that this time has been incredibly difficult for a lot of people. People have suffered for a very long time. We saw that in the Nauru files that detailed allegations of sexual assault and violence against minors. We know that people died at the hands of guards in these centres. We know people committed suicide out of despair. We know people have died from medical neglect. Compounding these difficult and damaging conditions is the uncertainty of not knowing what comes next. I think uh, I should share my experience here. Mm. I always just avoid to share my experience. Mm. I like to talk generally. Baruz says that the time that people have spent in detention has taken a toll. You know, I've been here for two years, but still I cannot really accept that six years of my life's gone. Still, I think about those years that I asked this question, why I lost my life in that island? And I think it's really difficult. You know, these people have been in the detention for, in prison camp for nine years. A lot happened in a decade. So if you be 20 years old, you are 29 now. It's yeah. too many years. Mm. And, uh, you know, during these years, many lives destroyed. These are key formative years in people's lives, relationships, dreams, educations, ideas for the future, ideas about who you are. All of this is lost and changed over this time and lost in detention. A friend of mine who is in Australia now, so when he left Iran, his baby born, and now his baby is eight, nine years. Mm. So they speak on the phone together. But he's never he's, met. He's never met his child. He never met, and you know, many couples they divorce. You know, yeah. after these years, many families separated, and many refugees who were younger and they had big dreams to be a 
professional footballer or you know athlete or anything or go to university or you know they their dreams are lost you know everyone damaged mm. even me i <laughs> i claim that i am strong you know i wasn't strong in front of this system So Ben, as you mentioned, there's only 450 people who are being resettled. There's more than 1,000 that are eligible. Is there any sense as to whether more might be taken in the future? I mean, what's going to happen to the other seven to 800 people? There is no certainty about their future. There are no other third countries where people can go. New Zealand might, after this three years, agree to take more. The, the offer has always been 150 refugees every year. But for those people who do miss out on these 450 places, There is no certainty. There's just more limbo. There's also people who are not eligible for this at all. Can you tell me about them? People who are currently held on PNG under Australia's arrangement aren't eligible for this deal with New Zealand, but New Zealand and the UNHCR have said that they will negotiate separately with Papua New Guinea to perhaps begin another stream, a separate stream of resettlement for those people, but they've been left out of the Australian deal because Australia basically regards those people now as Papua New Guinea's responsibility. They were forced to close offshore detention in Papua New Guinea because it was illegal and they've essentially, to their minds at least, handed over responsibility for those people to PNG. And what do we know of the lives of the people who are now in PNG after having spent so long in offshore detention? They're no longer in detention. They live in Port Moresby, most of them, um, and they live very difficult lives. Uh, They find themselves impoverished. Many are in very, very poor health. Um, And again, with total uncertainty about their future, about what's going to happen. And these are people who fled their homelands up to a decade ago and they still don't know where they're going to end up. Right. So at the moment, it's just a wait and see for whether they'll be offered any other sort of resettlement or any other option. Is that right? That's right, Laura. It is a wait and see, but it needs to be emphasised that that wait and see in and of itself is damaging. Mm. So Ben, as you mentioned Some of these people have been in detention for nearly a decade, and this resettlement deal has been on the table since 2013. Why has it taken so long for the government to take this up? The Australian government ran a couple of arguments as to why it couldn't take this deal up. One of those was that moving to New Zealand would be a backdoor, in their words, entry into Australia, that once people had resettled in New Zealand, they could take out New Zealand citizenship and travel freely to Australia. Right, and this could encourage more boat arrivals, the fact that someone could resettle via the back door of New Zealand to Australia. Is that the argument? That's right, Laura. Scott Morrison said accepting the New Zealand deal could risk this thing opening up again. Peter Dutton, the Home Affairs Minister, said New Zealand would be a pull factor for people trying to reach Australia by boat. But what we know now is that by 2019, there were some moves going on behind the scenes to get this resettlement going, to get Australia to agree. But to understand this, we need to understand a little bit about the push and pull over the Medivac laws. Right. So as we've discussed many times, the Medivac law is a law making it easier for refugees and asylum seekers on Nauru and Manus Island to be transferred to Australia for medical treatment. Many people weren't getting that treatment in offshore detention or adequate medical treatment, and they were suffering really serious mental health complications after many years in detention. So how is this law involved in this story, Ben? This is a law that was passed 
against the government's will in the last sitting week of 2018. Now, this is a pretty remarkable circumstance, laws being passed against the government's will, and it really was a humiliation for the government. What it did was put the power to move people for medical treatment in the hands of doctors rather than bureaucrats in the Department of Home Affairs. So I've put to the government a proposal, and since then we have worked together really hard to advance that proposal. And as a result of that work, I'm satisfied, I'm more than satisfied that the conditions are now in place to allow Medivac to be repealed. But the Medivac legislation was scrapped in 2019 after independent Tasmanian Senator Jackie Lambie joined One Nation senators and sided with the government in the Senate to have the Medivac bill repealed. I don't like holding things back like this, but when I say I can't discuss it publicly due to national security concerns, I am being 100% honest to you. My hand is on my heart and I can stand here and say that I would be putting at risk Australia's national security and national interest if I said anything else about this. Mm. I remember this was incredibly controversial. As Jackie Lambie had been talking at the time about how she supported asylum seekers, she cared about the well-being of them. What happened there? So what we found out last week, just hours after this agreement was announced that Australia would accept the New Zealand deal, was that according to Lambie, she struck a secret deal that required the government to allow refugees to resettle in New Zealand by the end of this term of government, that the New Zealand deal would be accepted by the end of this term of government in exchange for her support to repeal the Medivac laws. Mm, So Jackie Lambie makes this deal that kind of saves face for the government over the Medivac laws, but ensures that this resettlement deal is finally taken up. Why was it kept secret, though? What happened? Well, if I just come out and spoken about it, I may have ended up in jail, basically. Lambie said in an interview with News.com that this was a fraught negotiation and quite a threatening agreement. Right. Who told you that? That was made to me over the table from the team. She alleged that at the time, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, told her she risked jail time if she disclosed the details of the deal. So you're saying that the Prime Minister told you that you would be, you would risk jail if you told the truth? That's correct. And how did you feel about that? I felt really annoyed about that. I felt that quite threatening. Right. And did you tell him that? Yeah, I was not happy about it, yeah. That's why I kept saying, if I was only going to come up and handcuffs. That's a pretty extraordinary claim. I mean, what has the Prime Minister and the government had to say about this? The Prime Minister's office refused to comment on Lambie's claims on Thursday, but government sources said it was not correct that she'd been threatened with jail. However, they also said it was standard practice that people who attended high-level national security briefings were reminded of the confidentiality provisions relating to these discussions. So that so-called secret deal was in 2019. It's now 2022. Why that extra delay? The government has always maintained that it wanted to prioritise the US resettlement arrangement that was struck in 2016. That deal has essentially come to an end. That US resettlement deal has seen about 1,200 people move to that country. Well, we've actually been in discussions with New Zealand for quite some time, so this is the culmination of those discussions. And on Friday, the Finance Minister and the Liberal Senate leader, Simon Birmingham, defended the nine-year delay in accepting New Zealand's offer. We put a priority on uh, on making sure we uh, delivered on the deal we struck with the United States for uh, resettlement. So, Ben, this secret deal is now in the open. The government has committed to this resettlement program. 
but I'm wondering how they've explained the fact that they've been saying for years that this resettlement deal will restart the boats and lead to more deaths at sea. Well, Simon Birmingham said the New Zealand deal was necessary to deal with a small legacy caseload of individuals. Um, it's only small now because we've set, we've managed to um, either resettle in other nations uh, or return home, in many cases, okay. uh, individuals over a long period of time before sure. the last election. But, but your government always said, sorry no children in these circumstances. But to deal with it in a way that would not result in a pull factor for refugee boats, which he said had been prevented by the Coalition's other policies, such as turnbacks. One of the reasons it's a small number is because we haven't had those boat arrivals for years, because uh, we have been successful uh, in all aspects of deterrence, and all aspects are uh, the crucial thing to maintain. How has that explanation been received? Because I imagine some people would see this as a backflip. The arguments were entirely inconsistent and didn't bear up to scrutiny. Of course it's a backflip. And if New Zealand was a pull factor, then why wasn't resettlement in the US considered a pull factor? Why was it all right to resettle people there but not in New Zealand? Can I ask you, Beruz, about, I mean, uh, the Australian government always gave these arguments for why they couldn't accept the New Zealand deal. They said they wanted to, the US deal to, to finish before they thought about other deals. Their other argument, their big argument was that if people came to New Zealand, it was a sort of backdoor to Australia. What did you make of those those arguments? <laughs> of course, it was just an excuse, you know. The Shadow Assistant Minister for Immigration, Andrew Giles, said Morrison's previous, in his words, scaremongering about the alleged consequences of taking up this offer have been proven to be utterly baseless. This has been cruelty for its own sake. These people have been kept in these conditions when there was no need for this to happen. Again, this deal has been on the table for nine years and it represents the most humiliating backlit for Mr Morrison. The Australian Labor Party's Home Affairs spokesperson, Christina Keneally, has also accused the government of backflipping on this issue to win over left-leaning voters ahead of the election, particularly in city seats where teal independents are challenging sitting Liberal members. Mm. However, it's worth keeping in mind the Labor Party also supports offshore detention and supports boat turnbacks. What did Beruz have to say about what he thought was behind this decision? Beruz told me he thinks this was always about politics and it's still about politics. Of course, it was a political reason and now it is a political reason again. But this time it's in our favour, yeah. you know, and I think that shows... This time that they accepted it before the election, that shows a political shift in Australia. That means that majority of people in Australia don't uh, tolerate this policy anymore. You know, they don't tolerate these people under power anymore. And that's why they wanted to do something. It still is not because of human rights. It's not because of uh, humanity. Next, Baruz Bashani on how to make a new life after offshore detention. So, Ben, Baruz has been through this process already of resettling in New Zealand. What does he have to say about life on the other side? And does he have any advice for people who, after such a long time, are about to experience this freedom? It's going to be a difficult transition, Baruz says. 
when refugees uh, get freedom, they come to a new culture. And also they are behind of technology as well. He brought up a few of the challenges he had adjusting to a new culture. I don't know that you remember or not when I arrived, uh, when we met in Christchurch, mm. I was thinking that how this Uber works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are little things like learning what Uber is. You know, I really couldn't because when I left Iran, uh, Uber was not existing. Didn't exist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you're like, no, I, don't, just, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, that is just a simple example. And there are big changes. There, There is the seismic change of being free again and being in charge of your own life again. But when you get freedom, you know, at beginning, at the start, so it's good, everything, so they really enjoy it. But then uh, they go through a different process, mm. you know, which is a understanding of freedom or a normal life, you know, and uh, they should, uh, it takes time that you feel that you are not under watch because mm. they, these people have been living under camera they have been living with uh, guards that always watch them, look at them. They are. They have been living in uh, a system which, uh, a si- which is a system of control. So when you live in a system of control, so when you get freedom, always you think that someone is chasing you, someone is watching you, someone is checking on you. Another thing is your body, how your body reacts. Because your body is addicted to stress, to yeah. fight, to you know, always resistance. But when you get freedom, it's a peaceful life. And that takes time. So body reacts to that, you know, by I think by creating nightmare, which is yeah. fake. Baruch said one of the strange things was your perception of time changes. Because in the prison, time is different. Yeah. You know, you don't move really too much. And it is just a routine life there. So when you come out in a freedom life, even your understanding of time is different. So you feel that time goes faster. And that is quite shocking. Another big challenge is making friends, finding a community. They need a social life. And having a social life, making friends is uh, difficult. I mean, even for me, finding a social life sometimes is difficult, Mm. even now. But Baru says against all of these challenges, there is a society and a community willing to help. What I know is... New Zealand is a a good country, good society, and refugees really are welcome here. You know, Mm. at least refugees who come here under a program. And when they come here, there is enough organization here, enough activists here to help them to find a job, to find their way to, you know, start a new life. Nonetheless, Baru says each person's journey is different. So if we really want to help, we need to be able to to understand each of their unique needs. We need to sit down and we need to listen. 
it's difficult to talk about this, but oh. as a friend, if we sit down with refugees and hear their stories and they share their stories, you see that what they lost. It's really difficult, you know, it's, uh, it's huge. That was Baruz Bashani and Guardian reporter Ben Doherty. You can read more of his reporting on the resettlement deal at theguardian.com, including his story titled The Australian Government's Argument Against Sending Refugees to New Zealand Was Always Absurd. We've linked to that on the full story page. It's a deep dive into the politics of Australia's offshore detention program and its human toll. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Rashna Farooq, Karishma Luthria, Laura Braley-Newton and Joe Koning, who also did the sound design and mixing. The executive producers of Full Story are Miles Martignoni, Gabrielle Jackson and me, Laura Mephiotes. Okay, catch you tomorrow.